Before beginning the homily, I request that we remember in prayer our young people who are to be confirmed on the weekend of August 23rd. Those who are to be confirmed in the ceremony that has been rescheduled from back in last spring. So please pray for Brinley, Lorena, Adeline, Zoe, Marcus, Lily, Henry, Jairus, Ben, and Vaya, for their sponsors and for their families. Thank you. And now the homily for the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. Over the years, I would bet that many of you have had friends who were not Catholic who would ask you, why do you guys have a Pope? What's that all about? The implication behind this question may be that in some mysterious conspiracy, a shadowy cabal gathered in a smoke-filled room came up with the whole idea out of thin air. The truth of the matter is that the existence of the office of Pope comes from an act of obedience to Jesus Christ himself. What's more, our evidence for this is sacred scripture. It's good to begin answering these questions by referring to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Literally, there it is in black and white. The Gospels report a few occasions in which the apostles bickered over who among them should be the greatest or possess places of honor. Every single time, Jesus diffused those situations by urging them to focus on service rather than on rank, to give your best for the well-being of others, unmindful of status. Today, Jesus definitively addresses the question, but not in response to negative desires for power. Simon Peter, because of his extraordinary inspired profession of faith, would become the leader of the shepherds, and hence the leader of the flock. Today we'll carefully examine our Lord's commission to St. Peter, and we'll also look at how the Pope exercises his ministry today. The changing of Simon's name to Peter has a clear meaning in its original language, but which sadly gets lost in translation. One of the meanings of the word Simon in Aramaic is reed. One of the bike trails I frequent south of the hospital passes by a large cluster of cattails. Strong winds will bend the supple plants every which way. The difference between a reed and a rock could not be starker. No longer would this man shift and sway whenever the forces of the world pushed against him. Peter would be solid, firm, and reliable. Jesus then promised that through Peter's leadership, the gates of the netherworld would not prevail against his church. To understand this metaphor, we need to picture a city in ancient times. People built walls surrounding cities to protect them from armies or bandits but the security of a city depended most of all on its gates. If the enemy could penetrate one of the gates, the tallest, thickest city walls would become meaningless. What Christ is saying is that the strength of evil will be hopelessly weak and ineffective compared to his church. Jesus also said that he would give Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, 
by which he would bind and loose both here on earth and in heaven. Here's the connection to today's first reading, which, when it stands alone, seems a bit obscure. God sent the prophet Isaiah to confront a man named Shebna on account of his wickedness. And God appointed another man, Eliakim, to take Shebna's place as master of the palace. Back at this time, keys were rare, because locks were rare. Whoever had a key possessed real power. And the keeper of the key of the house of David, the manager of the royal household, had to be beyond reproach. This analogy is harder to relate to nowadays. When I first came to one of my former parishes, I remember finding an old cigar box in the office of the church. And this box contained, I'm not exaggerating, dozens of keys accumulated over many years. They simply saved them rather than throwing them away. Now, besides the tabernacle, I can only think of two doors in that place that were locked regularly. Let's say I wanted to look impressive. And so I placed all of those keys on a large key ring attached to my pants, like a high school janitor. To carry all of them around would not have added any gravitas to my role as pastor. But whether you may have many keys or only a couple on your key ring, I'll bet you still appreciate the importance of keys. Just ask a teenager who just got his or her driver's license how important a key can be. The point is that Christ intended for Peter not to occupy a symbolic throne, but to exercise substantial authority. What's more, that authority, which we acknowledge in the Pope's title as a vicar of Christ, passes down in succession through the generations, and did not end with Peter's death. How can we demonstrate the regard for the primacy of the Pope and the Church? One example from an early council in the 5th century is helpful. Pope Leo I issued a decree settling a question brought up at that council, and the bishops in attendance responded by saying, Peter has spoken through Leo. In this context, the Pope is not simply one among equals. He is the head of the College of Bishops. One part, yes, but the part that governs the rest. The point is that when Peter receives keys that bind or loose, both on earth and in heaven, he receives a weighty authority. We don't expect the successor of Peter to be a ceremonial figurehead like many monarchs in the world today, but someone who exercises great responsibility and makes critical decisions for the good of all the faithful. And all this because Jesus is the one who gives the commission. Peter eventually became the Bishop of Rome and died as a martyr there. Since then, over 260 men have served in this ministry, which has continued from the very start all the way to the present day. In terms of the Sacrament of Holy Orders, the Pope is a bishop equal to all other bishops. But in terms of the office, he fulfills a unique role. As I referred to earlier, what your head is to your body, the Pope is to the gathered group of bishops. He is not something different from the rest of them, but he gives the body its direction. The word Pope is an English rendering of the Italian Papa, which of course means father. 
From an early age, the church attributed the title Holy Father to Peter's successor. As a priest and the vicar of Christ, the Pope provides spiritual fatherly care, a ministry that supersedes functions like a president or CEO. He does need to govern, of course, when it comes to things like appointing bishops, for example. But what has endeared popes to Catholics, especially in recent times, is their heightened emphasis on the duties of sanctifying and teaching. <clears throat> Anyone can be a boss, but those other duties fill the void in the world that nothing else fills. In his work of sanctifying and teaching the faithful, the Pope is most clearly seen as a shepherd who feeds his flock. We have benefited greatly from the witness of popes of recent times, several of whom have been canonized as saints. In each generation, the Holy Spirit has given us the leaders we need, and he will continue to do so. Take some time today to offer an extra prayer for Pope Francis. We may not agree with the way he does everything he does, but we can learn from his complete love of Christ. Amen.